You know, in families, we all have our roles, and they become more and more cemented over time. And so I had felt very both secure in being the pecan pie king in my family, and had really kind of taken it for granted at that point. Then this newcomer comes in, and I'm not happy about it, and um, I'm just going to slide through, but I don't slide through because I learned something from her, which is the great thing about bringing new people to the table. Columnist and author Stephen Petro explores tough subjects with sensitivity and candor. His work sometimes reveals his own experience and feelings. And at this time of year, he confronts a recurring seasonal challenge. He ties on his apron, reaches for the mixing bowl, and bakes his fabled bourbon pecan pie. It's a tradition rich in calories and memories, but it also occasions an annual threat alert to his possible dethronement as the family holiday pie king. So what exactly did that newcomer bring to the table those many Christmases ago? She brought a very embellished story, but it was a great story, it was a compelling story, and it gave her pie a life and a history that um, mine, mine didn't really have at that point. Welcome to 27 Views, the podcast where we talk to some of our favorite writers in the American South. Here we explore what it means to live in, write about, and wander this corner of the country. From the north banks of the Eno River in Hillsboro, North Carolina, I'm your host, Elizabeth Woodman. Today we visit with writer and baker Stephen Petro. A confident baker and perhaps a bit of a pie snob? Stephen Petro has defended his Pie King title since his college days. In addition, he is a regular contributor to The Washington Post, The New York Times, and USA Today, as well as the author of nearly a dozen highly regarded books. In other words, Stephen tells stories professionally. But, like the cobbler's barefooted children, his pies had no story until a stranger bearing a dueling pecan pie came to town. Stephen joined us recently to talk about that revelation, his overcorrection, and the essential ingredients of family traditions. He also discusses and reads excerpts from his story, The Pies That Bind, which is featured in Eno Publishers' anthology, The Carolina Table, North Carolina Writers on Food. My winning streak is our family's champion pie king ended several years ago, and that's when all the trouble started. Since going to college in North Carolina, I'd sat on the holiday pie throne without fear of challenge, learning early what my Hillsborough neighbor Francis Mays wrote with great authority in Under the Tuscan Sun. Pecan pie is a necessary ingredient of Christmas. Remaining the king was a result of the time I'd invested refining my pecan pie recipe, which, if I may, had two outstanding attributes. A generous helping of Kentucky bourbon to cut the treacly sweetness of the caro syrup, and a top-secret 
mixing technique that prevented the pie from becoming gelatinous. Perfection, and no one dared bring another pecan pie to our family's Christmas table. Until 2007, that is, which just happened to be the year I turned 50. That year, my sister's wife, Maddie, invited Megan, a new and much younger sister-in-law of hers, to our family table. Just married, beautiful, and eight months pregnant, how could we not embrace her? Until Megan murmured, I brought a pecan pie. At that very moment, I knew Maddie had betrayed me. I mean, how could she have failed to disclose to Megan, only Stephen makes the pecan pie in this family? She might have also added that my pies had seen us through our family's ups and downs, from the death of my grandmother, who was known to stick her fork right into the uncut pie and start eating, to the birth of three nieces and a nephew, each celebrated with a pie. Every holiday season, we consumed a delicious slice of family history, along with our calories. All too soon came dessert, and for the first time in our family, we faced two pecan pies on the sideboard. Mine crafted with the aforementioned bourbon and a dollop of entitlement, and Megan's with a dash of bravado and another of comeuppance. As we raised fork to mouth, Megan launched into a long yarn about how her heirloom pecans came from her great godmother in Lamar, Missouri. She told us every year great-grandma handpicked them, hand-shelled them, and then sent them to her. The magic of her pecans is what makes this pie so delicious showing absolutely no consideration for her treasonous presence at our table. Then she explained how this year, in her third trimester, she'd gone to the farm, climbed up a rickety ladder to harvest the nuts for this very pie. And by the time she was finished, I knew I was finished. No matter how delicious my pie, Megan's family history was about to trump ours, with my very own flesh and blood ready to dethrone me. And yes, nearly every one of them voted against me their forks enthusiastically awarding Megan, the outsider, our family's annual pecan pie accolade. I noticed in your reading of the story, this wonderful story, that you pronounce P-E-C-A-N two different ways. I noticed that too. And I grew up saying pecan. But the first time I used the word in that story was quoting Francis Mays, who is an adherent of pecan. And so I wanted to be true to the quote and to Francis. And then I kind of went back and forth because I kind of go back and forth these days. I've often heard that people below the Mason-Dixon line say pecan and above say pecan but you're from New York and you say pecan and Frances is from Georgia and she says pecan. I did some research on this a couple of years ago and it's a little bit more complicated. What it turns out to be is rural versus urban. And so if you are from a city in the North or the South, you are more likely to say pecan. And if you're from a rural area, more likely to say pecan. But then I did interview Bill Ferris over at UNC, and he even had another layer on that that had to do with class and education. And what I've come to learn is we pronounce it the way our mothers did. I'm going to interrupt for just a moment to beg your indulgence. I'm the daughter of a pecan mother. Apologies for the dual pronunciations. Now back to that pie. 
Well, that that story fascinated me because uh, Megan travels to Missouri to harvest these pecans, pecans, and she climbs a wobbly ladder, pregnant Megan, to harvest them. Was she spinning a story possibly in the same way that you would spin a story for your new in-laws about the, the origins of the pecans in your pie? Well, let me just say this about Megan. That's the story she told, but that's not necessarily the real story. I had a hard time imagining her, anyone, being almost nine months pregnant, risking her life on a ladder to take me down. <laughs> so I think, you know, stories start to carry... Um, a life of their own, and they can get, especially in families, they can get divorced from, from reality, but it still makes some really wonderful stories that we love to tell and tell and sort of alter as time goes on as well. And I, I remember my dad used to tell his stories, and okay, I heard that story like a thousand times before dad, but I noticed that he told them a little bit differently, and each time he would tell the story, it said something new about him, and that's what interested me rather than shaming him for his memory issue. What do you think this story tells us about Megan? Well, poor Megan. I think that she was feeling insecure. This being her first her first uh, visit with the family. Yeah, her first visit with the Petros, you know, which are, uh, were a boisterous crowd. And um, there are a lot of competitions. And, but she just jumped right in you know, and played along. Staked her claim. Staked her claim. You know, as I did when I went to my in-laws in Winston. I staked my claim. The following Christmas, I joined a new family myself, my now husband's big, boisterous clan in Winston-Salem. His family, which came ready-made with several sisters-in-law, naturally had its own history and traditions. And it was Sister Lisa, at least a baker's dozen years younger than me, who owned their pecan pie trophy. Honestly, I didn't know about that when I offered to bring one of my own prize winners to Christmas dinner. Nor did my new mother-in-law warn me away from pecan to say, pumpkin. Still, I had learned a thing or two from Megan and her storytelling. And soon enough, Sister Lisa's pie and my own sat side by side on my mother's marble countertop, awaiting their comers. To be fair, Lisa's was a handsome pie, if not a tad untraditional, made with maple syrup, horrors instead of Cairo but it came without a story, without history. By contrast, let me just say that the gathering of the pecans in my pie from a mom-and-pop farm in Goldsboro had a tale of woe like you've never imagined. It was Rabelais, Gargantua, and Pantagruel all over again, and I told the farmer's story slowly and carefully. Famine, floods, and pestilence. Not to mention I mixed in my own family story as a way of introducing myself to the new in-laws. By dessert's end, the voting was in, my pie pan was empty, and poor Lisa went home with a good third of her humble pie. Sister Lisa proved to be a quick study. She and Stephen established a detente, agreeing not to bring their pies to the same holiday gatherings. Then she announced that she would begin a new family tradition By bringing her mama's nine-layer chocolate cake, she boasted it came with a great story and no pecans. I'm interested in the story you told your new in-laws. Long trip from Hillsboro to Goldsboro. It was out in the field. It was hot. I harvested them for them. 
for this very pie that I wanted to make a big impression with. And I do want to note that you know, the story is several years old now, so they were my new in-laws then. Now they are my ex-in-laws. That brings me to another question, which is that uh, traditions sometimes are realigned and the Christmas pie is still the Christmas pie, though the baker may change. But families change too. Have your family in the pecan pie experienced any realignment since you wrote this piece? Well, I'd like to joke that Megan was never invited back. That is the beginning of a story. So Megan never came back, but she moved to Michigan. It wasn't like I blacklisted her, which is the way I like to tell the story. And uh, we have been like realigned the old way for about 10 years now. But I have a young niece who's not so young. She's 26. And last year she went to baking school and she has become a threat. And here we have another young, smart, beautiful woman who's a threat. And what, what is the trending uh, subject on the Christmas pie? I try to learn from my mistakes. So last year when my sister raised that Jesse was going to bring a pie and we were going to have a head-to-head competition, I said, no, I've learned. You know, I'm going to lose. Everyone's going to vote for the newcomer, for the smart girl, for my young niece. But I did say I was going to step down this year. So we will see if I keep true to that. I'm conflicted. <laughs> You are a noted columnist and author who explores the subject of civility quite a bit in your work. Um, Your books include Stephen Petro's Complete Gay and Lesbian Manners and some other titles that really deal with etiquette and civility. I'm wondering what advice you might offer your younger, competitive, dethroned pie king self. Well, as much as I like to tell this story as being the pie king, being the winner, that's really not the meaning to me. And I think that's not the meaning in the family. This has been, my pie bringing has been a constant since I went to Duke. So, you know, basically 40 some years. And there's a beauty in that. And and we go back and we tell stories of, well, do you remember when Stephen brought that pie on a plane, and what happened to it? It got crushed, you know, in check luggage. And then there was the year it got confiscated because after 9-11, caro syrup was a liquid, and I couldn't bring the pie on, but I didn't know that. So it kind of ties us into our history, and um, so I'm really not as harsh as I'm I'm sounding. And um, it's a beautiful thread, and I think it's one of the stories that, that binds us and brings us together. What's next on the agenda aside from inventing pecan stories? <laughs> well, I do like to tell a good pecan story every every fall, and I'm working on I'm working on that right now. Well, I'm actually working on a book that's called Tentatively Joy to You and Me. And it's about finding joy, and it's about finding joy in challenging times, cultivating it, developing it, and sharing it. And it comes out of some of the personal experiences that I've had in recent years. Both of my parents died in 2017. I separated that same year, and, and my sister was diagnosed with cancer later that same year. So, so like many people, it, it's not been smooth sailing. And yet, uh, yet I think joy is essential to our day-to-day well-being. Well, as for the larger lesson, that's pretty clear now. It's not about the bourbon, my secret mixing technique, not even the pedigree of the nuts. It's about the life of the pie, 
the traditions we mix up year after year that with any luck bind us together as a family. For those of us in middle age, not only do we get to share our recipes, but our family history and stories too, which seem only to get better with age. To paraphrase the Yuletide story, happy Christmas to all, and to all a good bite. I have a question for you. Uh, Would you divulge the kind of bourbon you use? (laughs) So the real answer is I use different bourbons depending on who I am making a pie for. And um, I think I'm going to leave it at that. But um, if you get a Maker's Mark bourbon pecan pie from me, you're top of the list. Noted. We have been visiting with writer and journalist Stephen Petro. He discussed and read from his story, The Pie That Binds, which was featured in Eno Publishers' The Carolina Table. Stephen is an award-winning journalist and author. He is a columnist for The Washington Post and for USA Today, as well as a regular contributor to The New York Times. He is the author of such books as the best-selling Stupid Things I Won't Do When I Get Old, Stephen Petro's Complete Gay and Lesbian Manners, The New Gay Wedding, A Practical Primer, and his forthcoming work, Joy to You and Me, which will be published in 2023. He is the former president of NLGJA, the Association of LGBTQ Journalists, Stephen is also the recipient of numerous awards and grants, including those from the National Endowment for the Humanities, the Smithsonian Institution, the Virginia Center for the Creative Arts, and the National Press Foundation. In 2017, he became the named sponsor of the Stephen Petro LGBTQ Fellowship at the Virginia Center for the Creative Arts, a prize that is awarded annually. Stephen lives and bakes in Hillsborough, North Carolina, with his Cocker Spaniel Binks Bowling cheering him on. If you would like to hear Stephen read his entire story, The Pie That Binds, from the Carolina Table, you can find a link to the recording on our website at enopublishers.org. That's enopublishers, with an S at the end, dot O-R-G. There on the show notes page for episode nine, you will find a recording of the story and you will also find the recipe for Stephen Petro's bourbon pecan pie, as well as more information about Stephen and his work. 27 Views is hosted and produced by Elizabeth Woodman. That's me. Editing and mixing supervision are by Mark Maximoff. Executive producers are Elizabeth Benfey and Ezra Rawich. Music for this episode is entitled Everlasting Yule by the group Home for the Holidays. It's available on Epidemic Sound, and you can find a link to it on our website. 27 Views theme music is from the composition called Quarry in the Meadow, written and performed by Bruno Luchron. Please join us next time for more stories and voices of the South on the 27 Views podcast. Mm-hmm.